Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Our Lord, we are grateful that we have been given strength this morning to gather in your house. We thank you that we can come together with brothers and sisters, like-minded, and and that we can study your word, we can sing your praises, we can lift up our prayers to you, and you will hear. Father, we ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds, that you would teach us through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and that we would we would grow, we would be strengthened, we would be led to repent, that we would live in a way that brings you glory and walk in a manner worthy of our Savior Jesus. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the last six or so lessons, I've started with Second Peter chapter 1, and I will read that again because that gets us in the groove talking about what it means to lead a rigorous Christian life. And so, uh, let's read 1 Peter 2, 1. Uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence... In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll stop there. So as we talk about rigor, I'll say it again, this is not about our justification. Justification is by faith alone. The law slays us. The law demolishes us. The law casts us into hell, right? And then the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ rescues us from the curse of the law. And that is our justification, and it is on the basis of what? Faith alone. Faith alone. And so, as we talk about rigor, we are not talking about our justification. If we made justification rigorous, that would mean that we were trying to make Uh, works righteousness, the path to salvation. And that would be a common but egregious error. 
Okay, so we're justified by faith. We are sanctified then following our justification, and that's where our works fit in. That's where our pursuit of sanctification fits in. Our obedience to the Lord arising from a heart into which the love of God has been poured and is then active in making us holy. Okay? And so the, the area of rigor, and again, I, I'm calling it rigor because we are lazy. I am lazy. I'm lazy in my Christian walk. I'm lazy in my pursuit of sanctification. I'm lazy believing the promises of God laid out to me. I'm lazy in studying the commands. I'm lazy in self-examination that would lead to any change. Lazy in my repentance. And so we need to just be encouraged to be more rigorous in our lives, in our Christian walk. And so today... We will be exhorted from Scripture about joy or rejoicing, okay? We need to be more rigorous in rejoicing. And so, what opening question to get us um, thinking about joy, what has brought you joy in your lives? What things have brought you joy in your lives? Grandchildren. I thought someone might say that. So I hear those grandchildren really bring a lot of joy. Is anybody going to say children? (laughs) I'd say it. I will say it for sure. What else? I mean, this is it's just. Simple question, not complicated answers. Sure. Yes. Relationships, certainly, uh, certainly something I would point to. Friendships, uh, you know, uh, marriage, those things have brought uh, great joy in my life. Enjoying the mercy of God. Sure, absolutely. It makes you joyful, and um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, entering into the joy of others, building others up, um, that certainly is, uh, is a pathway to my joy. Work, okay, that gives you joy. Sometimes, when the thorns and thistles seem to be weak and out of the way, (laughs) work is joyful. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, Mike. Yes, the constant provision of even daily bread from the Lord gives us joy. Knowledge of His care and concern for us. Right? Well, today's main verse, and this is the verse that you know we're contemplating and asking the question, given that this is the inspired Word of God, am I willing to obey this? The answer should be yes. And um, is it hard? The answer is yes. But uh, we should love the Lord by obeying this command. And it's Philippians 4, no surprise. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. There's our verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, there's that repetition there for emphasis, right? Any repetition back-to-back in Scripture like that. In the, in, in the Hebrew language, it's very common. Uh, Greek language as well, to like double-emphasize words. But it's, Paul is like, come on, come on, really rejoice. Give yourself to rejoicing. You know, it, it doesn't cause me any pain to repeat myself here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And so what does it mean to rejoice? Be glad. It's not complicated. Be glad, be joyful in, you know, be joyful. And express that joy as well. To the Lord, to others, uh, on your countenance, whatever it may be. But rejoice. And then rejoice is modified in two ways. Rejoice in the Lord, and then rejoice in the Lord always. So two modifications there. We can rejoice in a lot of things that we experience in this life. We just listed a whole number of, of common experiences that we have. The, the exhortation here is to rejoice in the Lord, okay? And, yeah, that ties into all the things that we experience because our God is sovereign over those things. But um, be glad in the Lord. Be joyful in the Lord. Be joyful as you, uh, as you contemplate the very existence of God, as you contemplate His gracious loving kindness towards you, as you contemplate the, the glories of his perfections, right? Um, rejoice in the Lord. Put your joy in God. And then there's that, it, that would be fine. We would almost be willing to accept the command at that point. But then it says, always. And that's where the challenge enters in. Right? It, that's where it becomes, okay, always? Always. And it's not, Paul said this elsewhere, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. He says, rejoice always. 
And so if we were commanded to rejoice, we might find it agreeable, even easy. Of course, we can work a little rejoicing into our generally unhappy lives, right? I mean, I can give 10% to rejoicing and, and, and we're good to go. But the command from the Holy Spirit is to rejoice always. And the Greek here means always. <laughs> at all times, it means. Rejoice at all times. So we can't, you know, we can't use a sneaky word study method to uh, lighten the weight of this command. The command from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is rejoice in the Lord always. The temptation that we face in life in a fallen world, which is filled with struggle and anguish and pain and sin, um, it's a veil of tears we live in, right? veil of tears. The temptation of life in a fallen world is to be overcome by grief. To always be in, in, in a lament. To always be in a state of, of sadness, fear, anxiety, distrust, paranoia but not joy. And so, by faith, we are not allowed to be overcome by all those griefs, all those anxieties, but we are to pursue joy and discipline ourselves out of that vortex of grief that is always trying to draw us in, right? There's this vortex, it's a black hole. That's life in a fallen world. It's like a, we're always being sucked back into the, the pain. And the devil loves that. The devil would have you live your life unhappily and filled with anxiety, depression, paranoia, distrust unhappiness, anger. He would have you do that, and the Lord would have you be joyful. He would have you be joyful. Remember that the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians when he himself was facing persecution, imprisonment, and threats of death. So that's the context for him writing this, and he's telling these crazy Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, to hear it from an apostle who's being persecuted, it has some weight. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, agreed. Calvin, John Calvin, reformer, 16th century, you've heard of him. Godly man, good pastor. He said, the sum then is this, that come what may, come what may, believers having the Lord standing on their side have ample, sufficient ground for joy. Let me say that again. This, the sum then is this, that come what may, believers having the Lord standing on their side have ample, sufficient ground for joy. Now think of what's contained in that come what may. Think of all the events of your life, and that's contained in the come what may. Think of all the suffering you've been through. Think of all the grief you've had to bear. Think of the pain that's been inflicted upon you. All part of the come what may. And yet there, the Lord stands beside you, and therefore you have then ample, sufficient joy or ground for joy. The Lord is on your side. The Lord is with you. The Lord is near to you. He's near to the brokenhearted, right? And so, there it is. And that's what's difficult about the always, is it really means at all times. There should be joy in your life. And it's difficult. And it's painful at times. It's it's um, contrary to every bit of what you're feeling and every bit of how you want to express yourself and project yourself to others. And yet here, um, here we are, being exhorted by the Holy Spirit to rejoice always. Now, God commands us to rejoice. Obviously, we've just received that command in, in Philippians 4, verse 4. But look at this in Deuteronomy 14, and this is interesting. This is in God's directions to his people concerning the tithe. He says, you shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the, fir- and the firstborn of your herd and your flock so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. If the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from from you, when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Also, you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. 
So figuring out how to do the tithe, right? If you, if you live so far away and you, you can't transport your sacrifices to get there, they're like, sell the animals, take the money, go buy what you want, including strong drink, <laughs> you know, which we all are like, okay, um, you know, and wine. So apparently there's a, there's a difference between wine and strong drink. And whatever your heart desires, and then you take that, you Eat it and rejoice in the presence of the Lord, right? And, and that's the call there, is to rejoice, to rejoice, you and your household. And so we see that right there in the midst of all these details about the, the Old Testament economy and the Old Testament um, tithe. Now, the Psalms often speak of rejoicing in our salvation. That's a repeated phrase, right? And Psalm 9, 4 says, That I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 13, 1 through 5, starts with a lament, starts with a, an expression of pain. But then notice where it turns. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But, and here's the, the, the pivot. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I mean, how long, O oh Lord, I'm going to die, is what he's saying. I'm a dead man. I'm going to die. But then there's that shift in his countenance right in those last two verses. And he remembers, no, God has saved me. God has removed my, my dep- every bit and result of my depravity from me. He has saved me, and I will rejoice in that salvation. Come what may, I'm going to rejoice. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 31, 6 through 8, I hate those who regard vain idols but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction, you have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Again, he's pouring out his his, his anguish before the Lord, but always remembering to rejoice always remembering what the Lord has done for him, always remembering the the great gift of the grace of God in the midst of affliction. Psalm 149.2, Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. So continually throughout Scripture, you're told to have joy, to rejoice in the Lord. So there's joy and there's joy, right? There's a joy of the world and there's a joy in the Lord. 
what would you say is the difference between those? I mean, you're just putting your mind on it for the first time. I realize that. But what's the difference between the joy of the world and the joy of the Lord? What would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think that's really true. The joy, any other thoughts on that um, before I elaborate? The difference between the joy of the world and the joy of the Lord, or joy in the Lord. So what's the opposite of sober-minded? <laughs> um, uh, frivolous. That might be a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Calvin said, the joy of the world is deceptive, it is frail and fading. And Christ even pronounces it to be accursed. Hence, that only is a settled joy in God, which is such as is never taken away from us. So, he, he, it's, it's fading, it's temporary, it's, um, it's thin, it's unsubstantive, it doesn't last, right? It, 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 it flares up and is quickly gone. You know, as, as soon as the high is gone from that, you know, snort of cocaine, your joy is gone, right? And so, I'm not saying that I've done that by experience. I'm just, that's what I hear. Um, so, but that, it's, it's unsubstantive. But joy in the Lord is never taken away from us, Right? It is the constant gift of God to us, and it will last eternally. Luke 6.25, Jesus said, Woe to, th- Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now he's speaking of those, and that's the reference that Calvin puts in the middle of that statement he just made, that statement where he, where he says Christ pronounces the joy of the world to be accursed. And so he's saying, woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who are enjoying this worldly joy, for you shall mourn and weep. Right? It will come to an end. If you are just distracting yourself from, from thinking about eternal truths by constantly fueling yourself with entertainment and sensations and and all the and money and all the things that we we could come up with a list that worldlings pursue to find their joy, um, which we often also pursue uh, against knowledge as well. He's saying that that um, those things you know those things will end, and then and then you will have mourning and weeping. 
no more rejoicing. And so perhaps the main distinction is that Christian joy exists in the midst of horrible circumstances. Okay, the joy of the world consists solely in responding to circumstances. If all is well, joy is present for the worldling. You like that word, worldling? That's a Puritan word that no one says anymore because we are so sensitive. Worldling. The joy of the world consists solely in responding to circumstances. So if, they, if things are going well, if everything's lining up, if there's success, there's joy. Um, if all is going poorly, joy is absent because they're a slave to circumstances. The worldling is a slave to his circumstances. The Christian, on the other hand, is raised above this world even when he is plunged into all these, you know, these wicked vicissitudes of life. Unpleasant changes of every day. Right? Every, every loss, every illness, every pain, every sin against us, every sin we commit against others, right? We are, in a sense, raised up above this world. And so the call is to rejoice in the Lord, in his gracious character, in your knowledge of him, in your uh, recognition of all that he has done for you and promised to you. And so that knowledge and that knowledge only can help you soar above the miserable fog of this world. Okay, and I start sounding like Solomon and... Ecclesiastes, right? That whole book is about finding permanence in a world of vapor, okay? And one of the ways that we find permanence is fixing our joy to the Lord and not to all these painful circumstances that we all go through. We've all had, uh, we have all had difficulty, one of the other things we're called to do as far as rejoicing in the Lord, and again, this may be very difficult for some of us who are proud, is that we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice. Right? Easy? Easy for you? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this may, this may be one of the hardest times to rejoice because we're proud and we feel like the people around us should align themselves with what we're feeling all the time and how we feel and, you know, that it's, and, th and then we feel like it's just an amazingly cosmic bummer to have to line ourselves up with someone else who's rejoicing when, when we're not feeling it. Right? Isn't this your life? Or am I just particularly unsanctified? And it's reasonable to assume that. Someone gets married, we remain single. We're going to let them know we are unhappy and that they are entering into what's going to be such a hard challenge. 
I mean, marriage is great, but, 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 but. <laughs> you know? And suddenly, we're not rejoicing. We're like lecturing. Oh, you got a new job? Oh, man, that's great. I'm glad you got a new job. You know, and, and uh, yeah, how much you making? <laughs> uh, and you find out it's twice what you're making, and then all kinds of like, well, you need to be careful, the love of money, you know. I mean, we do this. We do this, and we, and I mean, there are times, there are times for rebuke, undoubtedly, but there are times when we're just supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's very simple. But it is very hard to enter into somebody else's success or joy or growth or their spiritual growth even, right? I, you know, um, someone tells you that they, they have le- led a life of temptation and for a decade they've resisted that temptation. And instead of like commending them and saying, keep going. You know, you're like, yeah, right. You know, go to the cynical attitude. And so we just withhold ourselves and we, we just, we won't, we won't rejoice with those who rejoice. And this is very challenging. This is the challenge of love. This is the challenge of loving your brothers and sisters in the church, isn't it? We wouldn't be exhorted in scripture a hundred times to love the brethren if it wasn't a challenge, and if it didn't cause problems that the apostles witnessed and the Holy Spirit anticipated. All right, so rejoice always. Colossians 1.24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So Paul is rejoicing in his sufferings. Now, have you ever done that? Have you had the, the, the sanctified presence of mind that when you're in the midst of suffering, that, that this is God at work in me, this is God pressing me down, this will yield good fruit? Yes, it's unpleasant, but I know that God is at work. I know his hand is in this. I know that he hasn't forsaken me, and so I can rejoice, even as I pray that God would change the circumstances, right? I should rejoice. Paul rejoiced in his sufferings and even called it filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And what was missing in Christ's afflictions? He's gone and there was no one to see his wounds on his side. And so guess what? The world sees the wounds of Christ in his people. As God wounds his own people, then Christ's wounds are seen by the world. And so your wounds are your means of demonstrating Christ to the world. Your sufferings are your best opportunity to witness because in those you're filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. 
It's not that his afflictions lacked the power to atone for sin. No, not at all. That's the only thing that could atone for sin. What is lacking is they are no longer visible because he's seated to the right hand of the Father. 1 Peter 1, 3-9 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for his salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Whoa, right? All that great stuff? In this you greatly rejoice, is the next verse. All of that amazing work of God on your behalf. In those things you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Right? Greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. I mean, there'll be times when you're contemplating the goodness and the mercy of God toward yourself and you should be like, I can't even put, put into words what I'm contemplating and what I'm feeling right now. I can't even put it into words. It's, it's an inexpressible joy. Even though distressed by various trials, even though refined as through fire, tested by fire, all of that is to result in joy. The testing by fire, the distressing by various trials, is to result in this rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. First Peter 4 again. And interesting that rejoicing is a theme in First Peter as is suffering, right? I mean, First Peter, the, the main thing is gird up your loins for suffering. But there's a, there's a companion theme next to that of rejoicing, even through the midst of suffering. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. What does that mean? To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So the, to the degree that you suffer like Christ, there should be a corresponding great level of rejoicing right next to it. These, this is one of the beautiful paradoxes of the Christian life, right? As we suffer, we increase in our joy. Hopefully. If we're if we're contemplating the scriptures, if our mind is in the right place, if we're not just becoming bitter. But to the degree that you are, share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. 
If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. All of that packed into there, rejoicing right next to suffering, testing by God with with confidence in God. What if you don't feel like rejoicing? What then? What if you don't feel like rejoicing? Well, that's the rigorous part of this lesson. Because often you won't feel like rejoicing. And so we have, to make, we have to make a determination. We have to exercise our will. And will we let our feelings be sovereign? Or will we let the Word of God reign in our hearts? Now, if, if you are precious about your feelings, and feelings for you are truth, well, then you will feel entitled to not rejoice. You will be entitled to to play the victim and to make sure everybody knows you're the victim. If you are waiting on your feelings, you might never rejoice. <laughs> Honestly, if you're waiting on your feelings to get there, you... There's enough suffering, there's enough difficulty, there's enough weight to bear in a fallen world, just in our own sinful selves, that if you wait to, on your feelings to get there, you may never rejoice in your life. You may feel entitled to your bitterness, grumpiness, irritability, general lack of joy. You must obey the command to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. You must obey it. You must obey the command. And then carry your weary, downcast soul to God's word and meditate on his wondrous character and all the promises that he's made to you, all those things that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, whom you have put your faith in. Right? And so get your soul off the couch. Get your sad, weary soul off the couch and start rejoicing in the midst of your afflictions. I am not denying that you you have afflictions. I hope I've made that clear. I'm not belittling your afflictions. What I'm saying is that joy can come into the midst of those afflictions. This is the foundation of all joy in a fallen world, God's sovereign purpose. This is the last thing I'll say. 
The foundation of all joy in a fallen world is God's sovereign purpose. And you know exactly where I'm going to go, don't you? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also glorified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I think I just messed that up. Healed and, yeah. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather was who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We're dying here. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I, am not, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, that's, that's the key. God sets out your life for you as an expression of his love, even with the difficulties that you faced, every one of them, and yet calls you to rejoice in the glorious salvation that he has given to you. The glorious salvation. If God is for us, who is against us? Does that make you happy? The answer is nothing is against you. It's glorious. All right, last thing. If your joy is in the Lord, it means that you are taking delight in the object of your affections. Love rejoices in its object. And God, being lovely and kind and good, is the source of our joy. Your joy will be in the Lord Many will seek to find their joy in the things of this world, hence why their joy is a half joy and a fading joy and a contingent joy and an ebbing and flowing, ever-changing joy, sometimes present, mostly absent. But rejoicing in the Lord is, is ever-pleasant because your object is the unchanging love of God. That's what you're rejoicing in is unchanging love of God that he has expressed to you and given to you and brought you in through Jesus Christ. And so rejoice in the Lord. Lift up your heads. Show people you rejoice in the Lord. Show people you know Jesus Christ, even by the countenance of your face, right? 
by the words that come out of your mouth, by the expressions of praise, by the way that you can just enter into somebody's joy and not get all, you know, messed up with jealousy and envy. You know? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would work this joy in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would do the work of self-examination and that we would repent of the hardness of heart that keeps us from rejoicing always. I pray that we would not serve, uh, not serve our sins and not even become servants to the sins that have been committed against us, but that we would serve you and rejoice in all that you have done for us. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.